A Different Spirit. This is a series we've been looking at. And I remember when Andrew first sent me the email inviting me to be a part of this series. And I opened it excitedly and ran my finger down the topics. Where's my name? Where's my name? And beside my name, a different spirit. Will we repent? (laughs) I was thinking, did I draw a short straw that I didn't know about? But you know, sometimes the sermons that are the hardest to prepare, sometimes the sermons that are the hardest to hear, are the ones we need the most. I just want to welcome all the people joining us online today. You're not here by accident, and neither is anyone else in this room. God knows us all. A different spirit, will we repent? You know, the world has become indifferent to sin. In fact, many have erased the concept altogether. What people feel is right to do, to say, to think, that has become right. I would say this indifference has crept into the church, but I don't think that's true. I think it has boldly marched in and taken up residence. We are indifferent because we've forgotten what sin invites into our lives, what sin invites into our homes, our communities, our world. Sin invites death. In the story we've been looking at in this series, A Different Spirit, we pick up the story from Numbers 14, verses 10 to 23. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones, referring to Caleb and Joshua. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among this people. That you, Lord, are seen face to face and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people. 
I pray according to the greatness of your mercy. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Israelite sin ultimately caused them to die trapped and wandering in a desert. It also brought death to their promises, their dreams, their hopes. Today, many of us are wandering in a desert, stuck, frustrated, experiencing lost dreams because we've invited sin into our lives. We've not turned away from it but instead have made room for it. We've also become indifferent to the consequences of sin. We say to ourselves, God will forgive me. We go back to the same sin a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time. We tell ourselves, God will understand. You know, the irony is he does understand. But what we often forget is that there are always consequences to sin, which we bear in our bodies, our minds, our homes, our communities, and our world. God forgave the children of Israel, but the consequences of their sin was that they lost their intended future. They were literally on the doorstep of it, but couldn't inherit it. In Numbers 13.2, God says, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. He says, which I am giving. Not that I'm thinking about giving. He said that I am giving. You know, when God first asked Moses to liberate the nation of Israel from the oppression of slavery in Egypt, God, Moses asked God, what is your name? He said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? Then what shall I tell them? God says to Moses, Ehir, Asher, Ehir, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The Hebrew alphabet gives a clue to the meaning. This name begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, which speaks of the future tense. Therefore, this name can be translated, I will be who I will be. God is saying he's not only with us right now, but he goes ahead of us into our future which may be unknown to us, but is completely known to God. 
God is saying, I will be whatever I choose to be in the circumstances you face in life. Your healer, your deliverer, your provider, your protector. I will be that for you. When God said, I am giving this land to the children of Israel, he was backing up his promise with his name, with the essence of who he was, with his character. This is significant. Let's look at what happens when the spies return from spying out the promised land. They share, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. But the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and there's giants. We are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than us. These spies give the children of Israel a bad report of the land, saying that the land devours its inhabitants and we were like grasshoppers. What just happened here? God said, I am giving this land to you. The ten spies say, we are not able. They are stronger. These men were denying the word of God, the promises of God. They were denying God himself, his strength and his power. They were saying, these people are stronger than us and our God. God is not able to give us this land. They lost sight of their own identity as the children of God, and they lost sight of God's identity. I am. They not only lost sight of it, they denied it. They sinned by not trusting God's vision and rebelling against it. When Caleb and Joshua try to remind them of who they are and who God is, the Israelites don't even want to listen. Numbers 14, 10 to 11. And all the congregation said to stone them. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I've performed among them? Furthermore, the ten spies sin because they sway the whole community to reject God's words. They sway them to lose sight of the grapes and only see the giants. How much sin enters our lives because we lose sight of our identity and God and distrust God's words and deny his very character? The other day I was going to catch the E41, which is the bus I take every morning to get to my school. And if somebody had said to me that morning, look, when you get to your bus line, you're going to be second or third in line. I would have said, great. Because actually it doesn't matter where you are in the bus line, you always get a seat on that bus. It's never full. There's always empty seats left over. So as I approached the bus line that morning, I noticed that there was one man lined up. I was about five metres away from him, walking down the street towards him. At the same time, I noticed that across the road, on the other side of the road, there was a woman 
who was heading to the bus line as well. I recognised her as a regular traveller. She was there every morning. She was about 15 metres away from the bus line. Now, if we continued as we were, I would have ended up second in the bus line and she would have ended up third in the bus line. All good, right? Apparently not. As she caught my eye, she began to run. Now, she wasn't running to catch the bus. It hadn't come yet. She was running to be second in line. Now, remember I said that if someone had told me that morning that I would be second or third in line, I would have said, great. But all of a sudden, it mattered. <laughs> These were the strange thoughts that ran through my head. She's trying to take second place from me. Can't she see me? I'm right here. Oh my goodness, she's running. And then I thought, oh no, you don't. <laughs> Not on my watch. Now, thankfully, I didn't break into a run. I didn't want to be that obvious, but I hastened my pace. The result was that at the exact same moment that this woman launched herself over the curb like she was finishing the 100-metre dash to take second place, I stepped around the man and slotted myself into second place, forcing the woman into third place. It was a very uncomfortable moment. There we were, the man, me and the woman, shoulder to shoulder. No social distancing. I could feel the heat from her stare. And I do what everyone does. I buried myself in my iPhone. When I boarded the bus and sat down, I started to think about what had just happened. I hadn't cared about my order in the bus line, and then I had cared. So much so that I'd acted irrationally and embarrassed myself. What had happened? I realised that I'd interpreted this woman's motivations. I felt like she was saying, I'm more important than you. You aren't valuable. I'm choosing to place myself ahead of you. Did the woman really think these things about me? Probably not. She just really wanted to be second that day. What drove her to it, I have no idea. But then I examined myself, why had I reacted this way? The woman didn't know it, but her actions attacked my identity. Instead of me realising that her actions said nothing about my true worth and value, I lost sight of my true identity in God and I reverted to my past one put up for adoption, unwanted, not valuable enough to be kept. In that moment at the bus line, I was proving myself, showing that I was good enough to be in second place, shouting loudly inside, I am valuable. In that moment, my actions denied everything God has spoken over my life. God has already shown me who I truly am. I didn't need to prove my worth. 
He's already shown me who I truly am in his eyes. I sinned against that woman that day. I didn't love her as myself. I placed myself above her and in my thoughts I judged her. I also dishonoured God. How do you see yourself? Do you believe what God says about you? God called the Israelites conquerors. He said, I am giving you this land, you will conquer it. When the Israelites lost sight of who they were in God and who God was, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. So I ask you again, how do you see yourself? What names do you call yourself? What does that inner voice in your head say? I'm inadequate. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good mum. I'm not a good enough Christian. You know, who would really miss me if I wasn't here? I'm a failure. God doesn't show up for me. He shows up for them. He doesn't show up for me. I don't think he cares about me. In this area of identity, the way we see ourselves, the way we see God, I believe many of us need to seek repentance and healing. Trusting in God's character, trusting in the truth of his words and knowing your identity in God is vital to living with a different spirit. If we don't, if we aren't secure in our identity or we don't truly know who God is and trust him, we will act irrationally. We will fight to be seen. We will prove ourselves over and over again. We will push ourselves in front of others. We will hurt ourselves and we will hurt the people around us. Not only do the ten spies sin by allowing the fear of the giants to determine how they saw themselves and ultimately disbelieve the promised provision of God, they cause the whole congregation of Israelites to follow them in their sin. They sway them with their words. You see, words are powerful. There are people sitting here today and you have been damaged by words. They still come back into your memory. Things that have been said over you. Words are powerful. The ten spies' words shift the Israelites' gaze from a land flowing with milk and honey to a land flowing with oppression and slavery. Sin invites death. Look at what the people begin to say. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? 
would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? They start speaking about death. They start speaking of returning to a place where they were oppressed, where many of them had suffered and died. They begin speaking the very opposite of God's promise. Why has the Lord brought us to this land, not to give it to us, but that we would fall by the sword? How are we using our words A person with a different spirit will always use their words to help people see God and their future with him. A person with a different spirit will use their words to build people up, to encourage, to strengthen. Caleb and Joshua say, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. In this season of your life, this season in Hong Kong, what are your words bringing? Are they bringing life or are they bringing death? Are your words swaying people to give in to fear? Or are they encouraging people to lean into their faith and trust in God's presence? The Israelites were doubting God's love for them. They were doubting that he would protect them. They lost sight of their future. They lost sight of their future in God and they were staring back at their past. Are we doubting our future? Are we doubting our identity, our value in God? The landscape of Hong Kong has changed and it is changing. Are we looking at the future with a trust in who God is, remembering his great love for us? Or have the giants got us longing for the past? Do we need to repent? If sin invites death, repentance invites life. In the Bible, God calls us to repent and live. Repentance is the key to life. It unlocks the door to fullness of life. So what is repentance? If the wages of sin is death, but repentance can undo this, what is it? Repentance is a personal, between you and God, it's a personal and absolute, unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Though it includes asking for forgiveness, And having genuine sorrow and regret, it is more than that. In repenting, one makes a complete change of direction. A 180 degree turn toward God. It is choosing to follow after God with all your heart. Repentance is an act of faith. 
Caleb had a different spirit. Look at what God says about him. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. He has followed me fully. True repentance is not a one-time thing. It is a daily following after Jesus. I would say that we need to adopt a lifestyle of repentance. A lifestyle of turning back to God fully every day. A lifestyle of complete surrender. And a lifestyle of heeding God's voice. To have a different spirit, we have to follow God fully. This starts with an awakening to the sin in our life that we've become indifferent to. We then surrender to God and turn completely away from the sin. We need to understand what it costs God to be able to forgive us. It cost him watching his son be nailed to a tree. This was not the first time the people of Israel had sinned and disobeyed God's voice. God says, ten times they've not heeded my voice. When we, like the Israelites, keep returning to sin, keep inviting the same sin into our lives, turning our back on the plans that God has for us. The Bible describes it like this. They again nailed the Son of God on the cross. For as far as they are concerned, they are treating the death of Christ as if they were not saved by it and are holding him up again to public disgrace. When I read that, I started to cry. I was really convicted by it. And I asked myself, have I been picking up those nine-inch long nails, pushing Jesus back onto the cross and banging the nails in with my thoughts and my actions? As I was preparing this sermon, I felt God say, following, not walking. I didn't understand. So I asked him to explain what it was he was trying to tell me. He said, generally walking in a direction is different to intentionally following in someone's footsteps. Jesus said, follow me. To follow someone, you have to see them. You have to stay close. Caleb had a different spirit. He was following God fully. Too many of us have been following in the general direction of Christ. And we've lost sight of him. We are no longer close to him. Repentance keeps 
us close. True repentance is turning away from sin and turning towards God's words for our life. Aligning ourselves with what God says about us. Choosing to trust in the nature and character of God. Repentance isn't just seeking forgiveness, but it is that as well. It's not just turning away from sin, but it is that as well. It is then choosing to move in Jesus' direction, following in his footsteps. Will we repent? I'd like to invite the musicians back. Would you stand with me? We're just going to take some time at the end of this service to heed God's voice. To listen. To hear what he wants us to repent of. We have all fallen short. There is no one in this room who, is in not need, who isn't in need of repentance. There's just not one. We have all fallen short. I just want to remind people here today that sin isn't just the things that we do. Sin is also the things that we don't do. The things that we know to be right. The things God has called us to, but we don't. Just close your eyes. And open your hands in front of you. On the way here, I heard a beautiful song. And it said, I don't want to miss one word you speak. Because everything you say is life to me. I don't want to miss one word you speak. Quiet my heart. I'm listening. I want to encourage you to listen. God is speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Listen. Still the noise in your head. Take this moment to be still in his presence. Listen. Hear what he is saying to you. Some of you today, you know that how you think about yourself and some of the things you think about God, you know they're not right. And God is challenging you to repent. Some of you today, you know the words that have been coming out of your mouth have not been bringing life. Not to you, not to the people who hear you not to the people in your workplace, not to the people in your family. And God is challenging you to repent. Some of you today, you're so fearful of the future. You've lost sight of 
of the hugeness of God, of His power and His strength, you've lost sight of your own future. And God would say, come, come close. Let me restore you. Let me help you to see again. Some of you today, you know you've been inviting sin into your life. You've gone back a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time. God's heart is breaking. He says, come. Come, let me help you to turn away from it. To walk away from it. We have a prayer team here today and I want to invite you to come and pray with someone. If you know there's something that you need to deal with with God, come and have somebody stand with you. Pray into that with you. Our prayer team is here. But also equally, there are people around you can reach over and tap someone on the shoulder and say, would you pray with me? I don't want to go out the front. I'm a little bit nervous, but would you just pray with me here? Can we be family together today? Can we pray for each other and use our words to build each other up, to speak life over each other? Can we do that today? Take this time to be still. And listen and respond. 